we would be honored if you would three, join us. Two, one. Krebs in three, two, one. And it's me. In three, two, that's you. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode. Okay, of hang on. Dungeon hang on. I have to be that guy. Uh, I had a false start on mine, so I have to start mine over. Hang on. Uh, I had a joke in the chamber and everything. I know. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get there. Man. Krebs in three, two, one. And me again, starting over. One, two, three. All right, everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we just screwed up. That's right. We had it, the most awesome intro in the universe, and you will never hear it because True. someone's computer didn't work right. But you I brought us down. Because we won't throw that person under the bus. But you get to guess who that is because it was one of the three of us, but you'll never know. It could have been me. It could have been Krebs. It could have been Alton. But you'll never know. It was definitely Krebs. And, and there's definitely only two of us with judgmental tones in our voice. <laughs> and only one of us seeking atonement. Hey, atonement, what an interesting topic for tonight. That is oh, a great yeah. topic, and that's actually the reason I did that intro, because I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with this. Because we're talking about the hero's journey. Uh, for those of you that already know that, then great. You don't have to listen to what that is. Um, no, just kidding. Listen to it, because we have amazing ideas and thoughts. Um, basically, the hero's journey is a narrative uh, which is kind of, in a way, comparative to a mythology, um, where it involves your hero who goes on an adventure, uh, and things happen. I mean, I don't want to go into a lot of detail with it, because we'll do that as we talk, but it, the main reason for this is the hero's journey is prevalent in a lot of books. Not only that, it's also in video games and TV and film. You you see it everywhere. You just don't realize you see it. Um, you know, jo when Joseph Campbell came up with this, uh, you know, this narrative, this ideology, or even this theme, I guess, whatever we want to call it, uh, it is amazing how prevalent it is in our society and the literature and media that we see. You know, uh, let's just kind of go through it. Generally, you have a hero. That hero has a call to adventure, a call to action. Um, there is some supernatural aid that happens to for the hero. Uh, there is generally a threshold and a guardian. Um, and then we go into the unknown. Um, that is where the threshold allows it, – it's that point where, okay, I'm in my comfort zone, and now I go beyond that because something happens. Uh, and we have a helper or mentor, generally the guardian, and there's – challenges and temptations that happen the helper is still there along the way something happens there's the revelation uh which is generally in, in most cases is termed the abyss there's a death or a rebirth or something there's a transformation that happens within the, our hero there is an atonement and then there is the return um which kind of goes through the story um i know that is a very quick version of it uh, and we can dive into it more, but this, I never really realized growing up. So I always kind of heard about the hero's journey and I'm just like, oh, what the heck is that? That just seems kind of dumb. But as I've grown, 
uh, into an adult. And as I've learned to write and uh, even through this podcast and other things, I've seen how much the hero's journey is in a lot of things. And, you know, even my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time, and we all know what that is. Star Wars is a huge <laughs> hero's journey. I mean, and if you can't see it, wow, I, we're going to change your mind, I guess. Um, I mean, we see all of it. You know, we have Luke Skywalker that's forlorn on Tatooine and life is horrible and he's whiny because he wants to go to Tashi Station and never makes it. And his friend Biggs is, is doing awesome stuff. And then two droids show up at his house. If that's not a call to adventure, I don't know what is. Because now they have to find Ben Ken or Obi-Wan Kenobi. Could that be Ben Kenobi? You know, it's, so it's, it's very subtle, but it's there. Every point they hit. I mean, even the death and rebirth, we, we see that with the death of, of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and, you know, the return. I mean, we see that towards the end. Uh, I know I'm jumping a lot of steps in there, but we see those things. Um, you see it in the Dragon Slayer. That happens in that movie. Oh man, the Dragon Slayer. It's so very pronounced there. Yeah. Um, we see it in, I mean, even kind of fast forwarding, let's go to uh, a movie more recent, Pacific Rim. I know it's a huge popcorn flick film. It's not, it doesn't have tremendous en entertainment value, but we still see the hero's journey even there. You know, we have the reluctant hero, call to action. Everything is there. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to you guys. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's really kind of the an, an excellent sum up of what's also known as the monomyth. Yeah. Um, de developed or uh, coined by Joseph Campbell. Um, you know, Star Wars being the most prominent example of how it is featured uh, or specifically templated off of in today's media. Um, George Lucas had the privilege of being a student directly to Joseph Campbell and took it really seriously, took it to heart, but even beyond that, as it has spread and as people have begun to recognize those templates, we've talked before about problems with tropes and things like that, but having a template, having an idea, a plan, an underlaying skeleton of what needs to happen really helps to create some solid, solid media. And tonight we aren't just telling you about the hero's journey. We also wanna talk about how to apply that template and how we've seen it successfully applied in other places. So the most obvious place is probably film. Creds, that feels like your area of expertise. Yeah, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I used to be a film student once upon a time. And he may have starred in some films. I, I start as a strong word, but yeah, you have to. <laughs> I've been in a thing or three. Commercial. Hey, I'm sorry, no, if you're in a film, you're starring in it, just because you don't, I mean. There you go. Well or not, you're still starring in a film. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, so the hero's journey, it's so very interesting to me because I think that as humans, we have encountered, uh, especially in our current culture, we have encountered so many, um, so many stories, so many myth, uh, mythologies, so many worlds. And in fact, if anything, we've kind of gotten to the point where we've seen so much that we kind of feel most of the time we've seen it all. Or if we see some other story, we're like, hey, that's just like this one over here and that one over there. Like, you know, one of these days, let's 
let's have that really uncomfortable conversation about the first time we watched the movie Avatar. Nope, not the last airbender. That one doesn't count. No, the the whole, you know, blue alien gig and and the MacGuffin known as unobtainium. But let us not go down that rabbit hole just yet. Uh, the <laughs> we've seen so many stories that we start to see we, we start to feel like we've seen the same story over and over. But then when you flip it around, when you are asked to tell a story, whether you're trying to write a screenplay, whether you're trying to write a book, whether you're trying to run a tabletop RPG campaign, um, it's interesting how naturally we gravitate toward this. Uh, with film, with film, the goal of the filmmaker is typically, let me get the audience to care about the situation. Let me get the audience to care about the characters. Let me get the, let me get the audience to care about the conflict. And usually the way that the audience cares is that something about them is epitomized on screen. And so you're trying to tap into something familiar, something they identify with. That's actually why they use that term, right? Because they see themselves in that thing, whether it's the conflict, the scenario, or the character, they see themselves in that thing. So uh, with film, you have to get them to care. Once they care, you have to threaten them. You have to threaten the audience. If you don't threaten the audience, there's nothing for them to buy in on. There's nothing for them to get invested in. Once you threaten the audience, then you have to carry them on this adventure where you take them to the brink of loss and maybe even they experience a little bit of loss or maybe some major loss along the way, but they can't ultimately lose. They have to, at some point, come out on top or they have to, there has to be some reclamation at the end. So let's ask some questions about that then. Um, you mentioned your three primary things there. What are some examples of excellent situations of care that have been generated in films? Uh, I am a huge fan of the more recent film, A Quiet Place. I think A Quiet mm. Place is a masterpiece. Uh, and I don't think they set out initially for it to be that. You know, it was sort of like a small group, small idea, and by Hollywood standards, a smaller production. Hmm. But every little decision they made along the way, they crafted something marvelous. In terms of caring, um, you, you first attack the audience's sense of normalcy. They can see what people are going through. They see how you've got a kid who is sick. You have a family who needs to get stuff. You saw the newspaper articles coming in. By the way, spoilers, spoilers. Um, uh, but if you haven't seen the movie by now, I ain't got tears for you. Um, so you see the news articles that gives you, what's that? That I haven't seen it. Dang it. You're ruining it for me. I know, right? Spoilers, Dan. Also, no tears for you. All right. So um, <laughs> there are articles on the ground that give you exposition. The audience sees that. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think, I think in the post 9-11 world, when we see catastrophic headlines, now we have something in our generation, um, for our younger listeners, the generation just before them, right? We have something in our generation that we can link to. And so there's this catastrophic article headline about how the world's basically come to an end and how you have to be quiet. And then to attack the sense of normalcy, we take something normal, I've got a sick kid, I need to get medicine. And then you make it an excruciatingly difficult problem. 
and you care enough because we're talking about children at risk, right? Usually the audience cares about the children and you've got a mom who's trying really hard. You've got a dad who's trying really hard. And then you've got kids who just want to be kids, but if they're too much like kids, they'll die. So Mm -hmm. I think a quiet place does a great job of making it easy to identify with linking back to our own sort of cultural or national traumas and then threatening our sense of safety. So that's the next big question is what are some examples in a different film, perhaps that that threat is visceral and real because in my mind, right. When I, when I hear the word, the film needs to threaten me, I'm immediately thinking horror, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily the only place that we're trying to evoke that type of emotion threatening is not necessarily going to be fear per se i don't that's think, right right well yeah that's right. No, i mean I, I mean the 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 film coming to mind right now that follows this kind of the same plot like uh, that does have the hero's journey that i'm thinking of is army of darkness okay <laughs> uh, is it a horror movie Pro- it's more of a comedy than yeah it's anything. more of like a dark comedy right but but, you know, there is that normalcy. You see him being drugged along. Yes, it is in the past, but it's still normal. You see humans and everyday people uh, in King Arthur time. They're being drugged into the castle, and then they're thrown into the pit. And then everything changes to that point, because you see the deadite that's down there that comes up and tries to eat him and, and fights with him. And then he crawls out, and, and, you know, he's really reluctant. He doesn't want to go do the things, but he decides to do the things. And then he screws up the words. And you know, he's supposed to say the words. (laughs) And if he gets them wrong, something bad is going to be happening because they've been foreshadowing that like crazy. Remember the words. You got to say the words right. If you say, yeah, you know, don't say the words wrong. What are the words again? I got your damn words. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then immediately we start seeing skeletal hands shooting up and you, and the music changes and we see the threat. Um, but you know, I and I and I in my in my mind, I mean, that's kind of the death and the rebirth uh, of the, the hero story in that moment where the whole world changes right there, and then he has to face things, and even then he's still reluctant, and he he decides, oh yeah, I'm going to do it um, yeah. after Sheila gets kidnapped. Um, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's different the way people manipulate and twist this same monomyth over and over yeah. to fit their story but the bare bones of it still remain in the story no matter what i have an example i have an example that's neither horror or sci-fi or anything like that um Mm -hmm. p.s i love you p.s i love you with hillary swank and gerard butler yeah uh in that movie hillary swank is the hero on the journey and we threaten the audience but you know we get them involved in this passionate emotional and conflicted relationship in a very short period of time. And then instantly we switch. And it's something we can kind of identify with when you love someone, but you're having a hard time getting along, you still love them, but there's mm-hmm. conflict. Yeah. And then they flip that switch and- uh, Husband's dead. He's yeah, gone. husband's dead. And we see the wake, we see the impact on the wife. And as, a, as an empathetic audience, we, we just went through that little journey too. We're like, we felt their passion. We felt their conflict. But there's that moment when you lose someone who's close to you, all of a sudden, all of their best qualities are the only qualities. Yeah. And, and so we just threatened the audience's sense of safety. Here's the main character. Here's Gerard freaking Butler. And we just killed him in the first seven minutes. 
So there's a threat to the audience. We just took something away. And now there's, now there's a void. And the rest of the movie is about filling that void with new joy. So let me repass with one more example that gets us up to this point before we move to your third and final bit there. Uh, the, the film that's been in my head as I've been thinking about this, particularly about the threat, is the Brad Bird Pixar classic, The Incredibles. Yes. Right? Um, which is kind of funny because, you know, we start with these superpower, superhero, like normally a, a lot of people fall into the, the trap of thinking that the hero's journey has to be some kind of supernatural power that ga that's gained, or especially in things like D&D and other RPGs, we think of the idea of these characters leveling up and getting stronger and all these other things, right? Well, in The Incredibles, they follow the formula very cleanly, but it turns bits of it on its head, right? And this mm -hmm. is where that templating comes in, but the execution has great nuance yes. because we start the film and the status quo is supers are not allowed to be super. Yeah, You've got to live normal lives and you're watching as this guy is working for an insurance company that just wants to screw the customer <laughs> and he's fallen to bits. And then <clears throat> you see him trying to resist a little bit, right? You, you, um, and then he gets that call to adventure and that little bit of supernatural aid of somebody sends him a business card that just says, hey, we've got a job for you. We'd love to make it worth your while. We have this situation, right? And he <clears throat> steps over that threshold into the unknown of what's about to happen. And, and at this point, you would think, right, but now we're at that more transformative state of, okay, well, you know, now he's powering up. He's being able to use what he is, but no, no, we're not there yet because he sees the helper and this mentor figure of somebody who's saying, you can be super, you can use these tools for good things, right? But not all mentors, not all guardians end up being on your side at the end of the game. We watch as he descends all the way down, even though his life is getting better and better and better and he's feeling better and he's exercising all these different things, right? <clears throat> the critical revelation, uh, that, that abyss, that death for him, the threat is hearing his wife's voice over the radio, her saying that her children are on board and then confirming that the plane is blown up. Mm -hmm. That is the moment in which he his entire self has been threatened and we feel threatened for him. Even though we know that the family is still alive, we have now become fully invested in seeing the bad guys go down. So then at that point, what's a great example of moving on to that third step? So let, let's go back through our example so far. Um, in a quiet place, you have, um, once, once you've hit that abyss, once you've hit that death and that rebirth, right? Um, now we have to go through the transformation. There's typically some sort of atonement that occurs. And then we have the return of the hero to their full glory, if you will. Yeah. Uh, in a quiet place, the abyss, the darkest time is when uh, John Krasinski's character is away from home when Emily Blunt's character goes into labor. And as she's going into labor, they've already got one of those crazy creatures on the premises so now she has to fight all of her urges to scream because she's in excruciating pain but she has to keep herself and her un her yet unborn child alive john krasinski on the other hand has to find a way to get back home as fast as possible and there's there's you know in our world 
there's a farm between them in their world there's a canyon right like it's such a divide and he's got to figure out how to get in there and help her without getting killed himself um we get to the point where uh in order to to save as many members of the family as possible john sacrifices himself uh but not before he makes sure that his kids know that he loves them beyond all expression um and that that repairs the damaged relationship with his daughter um, that sets a, a prime example for his son, who is now the man of the family, um, and it saves his wife and newborn child. Uh, and then sort of the, uh, that, that's, that's his sacrifice, which in a way is an atonement for the damage that was done to his, his relationship with his daughter earlier. And the return of the hero is when Emily Blunt uh, forms uh, a, a united front with her daughter and her children in general, and they figure out how to expose the weakness of the monsters and fight back. And now we just save the whole family and we've empowered them. Yeah. Well, I um, mean, we, we see it definitely, I'm gonna use Star Wars cause that's the easiest. Um, I and mean, we so see easy. that in Star Wars very easily. You know, uh, we see a very depressed, down and distraught Skywalker. He doesn't know what to do now, you know, Obi-Wan was supposed to show him the ways of the force and show him how to be like his father. And he just watched Vader slay him. Um, and there's this down moment. And then we go and we see that they're going to attack the Death Star. They have to, because it's already destroyed Alderaan and everyone's just like, it's this or nothing, you know? And then, you know, Luke decides, hey, he's going to go. He's going to go, he's going to fly his ship. He doesn't know what else to do, but he's going to do it. And then suddenly we see Han show up. And then we kind of see Luke's affect improve. You know, before it was just like, oh, okay, I got to do this. There's nothing else. But then Han shows up and it's like, wait a minute, there's someone else here. He has a little bit more confidence in himself. And then he's out there flying and then he hears Obi-Wan's voice. And then, you know, he becomes the hero because you know everyone's like turn your targeting computer on target how can you do this without that trust in the force and he fires the torpedoes blows up the death star saves the day um because he's trusted in the force or in himself um i mean we really clearly see that in a lot of other movies we have to kind of look for it um it's not always that clear for us uh you know in the quiet place uh, as, as krebs described that it, it was a little bit more blatant than normal, but in a lot of movies, we don't see that. I, like the movie Love and Monsters, that's the one that's oh, recently- such a out. great movie. Great movie. One of my all-time favorites now because, you know, one, the guy doesn't get the girl. You know, it's about the, this guy and this girl's love relationship, but really it's about he, the hero discovering himself and he gets the family. That's what it's about, which mm -hmm. I think is beautiful how they twisted that around. Um, you know, normally the hero's journey is he's all after the, the, the princess gets the princess saves the day, but instead it's like, no, you know, this relationship has gone stale. I really, we don't really love each other like we did, but I love my family. They've been there for me, you know, and there is a point where he gets the crap knocked out of him. He's, he's tied up on a beach. Everyone's going to die by this giant crab monster. And he chooses to face the creature down. And he chooses um, to go through all this. And then there's a point where he's dangling above the monster. It's going to eat him. 
and he chooses instead of shooting the monster to shoot the chain mm -hmm. and freeze the monster and then becomes the hero everyone's like no don't do that but then he becomes the hero because he made the better choice you know because he was told once not all monsters are evil some of them are nice and he realizes this monster is being tortured that's the reason it's attacking people and so he sets it free it goes and kills the bad guy and then he gives up the girl and goes and saves his family that when you see them they're almost dead and then they're amazed that he's alive because at the beginning of this whole movie he's like he almost dies and everyone just you know he shoots a crossbow and horribly misses every time and so the fact that at the very end he's able to hit the item to free this monster is just a stunning and astounding but they mm -hmm. did it so well he, he made every mistake along the way. He survived in some odd ways, but it was clearly the hero's journey from beginning to end in Absolutely. a fantastic way. You know, and that's really where, uh, that's another area in which this template can be very easily misinterpreted and become very tropish to your point of the hero has to get the girl, Yeah. right? But even Star Wars, that's an excellent example. Um, you know, when we talk about the reward at the end of the hero's journey as they're returning into the known world, but changed, it's also referred to as the gift of the goddess, meaning that it is the thing that is most valuable and most needed to the hero through their growth. Mm -hmm. As they're descending down towards the abyss, they're going through trials, but they're also going through temptations that are encouraging them to give in to the baser parts of themselves, their character flaws and weaknesses. And usually in a well-executed monomyth template, the gift of the goddess is typically in direct contrast to the temptations that were seen earlier. And even the things that the hero left to begin with. In Star Wars, um, this is obviously me getting on my personal belief in soapbox here, right? <laughs> but um, I really think that the critical piece of the known world um, that ultimately becomes the gift of the goddess in the end is not only the force but specifically the connection to the people around him mm -hmm. because luke begins his journey very disconnected yep. he's disconnected from his friends he feels that he's disconnected from the rest of the universe but he's also disconnected from his aunt and uncle who have only done <laughs> what they could for him loved him treated him well gave him opportunities even if they were limited and not ideal they gave him what they could have right and at the tail end of the film the two gifts that Luke gets are access to the force, the, but that has to be put into the framework of what Ben Kenobi said, which is the force is that which binds us and connects us. It flows through us, right? We are all connected. And then the metal scene right at the tail end isn't about the reward and he doesn't get the girl, but what he is is now he's part of something bigger than himself. And he's part of a bigger group, a bigger organization, a new family, which is that return to the, the known world, um, but now with a new appreciation and new tools. And I think that that's really, really valuable um, to, to remember and to understand is that going through, as you have your heroes go through this journey, oftentimes the MacGuffin or the obvious treasure or the obvious prize isn't the thing that really was necessary now on the opposite side you can accidentally fall into and the real treasure was friendship all along and the power was inside you the whole time yes and so you have to be careful to make sure that those gifts are actually 
meaningful, relevant, based in the needs of the character, based in the needs and the themes of the story. But you can utilize themes of love and friendship and eschewing greed as opportunities to really reward that journey and the listener or the reader or the watcher or the player for having followed through with that. Excellent and well said. No, I think that's that's spot on. Um, and I think a lot of people do kind of miss those, those things. And it, that's, the, that's the wonderful thing about the hero's journey is you don't have to have the, you know, I know for a, a long time, especially when it was originally created, the hero's journey, there was the idea that was the only way you could write a story is the hero's the guy. He goes and saves the damsel. He, the call to action is to save the damsel in distress. He goes and does that. The journey happens. He falls to despair. He almost dies or whatever. He overcomes that and then saves the day and then takes the damsel in distress home and they get married and live happily ever after. I actually per- like the stories that are the stories that are more realistic where that isn't always the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love uh, love and monsters because he didn't, you know, it sounded like, Oh, it's all, all for the girl. But in the end he chooses the girl. Isn't what matters. Um, he goes back for the family. Um, you know, in there, I mean, there's very various other movies. I mean, even uh, army of darkness, he doesn't end up getting that girl. He ends up leaving and going back home. I mean, he still saves her, but ultimately he goes back home and gets some other girl uh, at the very end. Um, you know, and we've seen it quite often in various other movies. Uh, Dragon Slayer, he definitely gets the girl, but more importantly, he gets to be a wizard at the end. Um, that's more of the prize and the reward he's looking for. Yeah. Um, uh, another one. Uh, that just came to mind real steel that oh. one is a fantastic hero's journey mm-hmm. um, we see a guy that's down in his luck and because of a boy it's the guardian figure really is the boy um i originally thought it was you know hugh jackman's character but in reality the guardian in that story is the little boy that is bringing him out of this depression and out of this despair and is saving him and you know like any traditional guardian he is removed from the story you know, and then he, he, you know, he fights to bring him back, but he finds himself, the, the dad does, through the actions of the boy, and they become father and son. So it's a little different guardian story. And that is the reward at the end. It's not the girl that, you know, she's always loved him. She's already uh, pined after him. It's that bond, that relationship is now stronger than steel. And that, I love that way, that twist on that. So I've been thinking about something recently. All right. Think out loud. Wanted to, wanted to see what you guys thought. And to be frank, I'd also love to open this up on the Discord to get some discussion going. Maybe not a traditional question in the yes, no, give us a single answer. But I really am curious to see what everybody thinks because um, I've been processing the concept of utilizing the hero's journey as a template to check whether your game design is complete. And that sounds a little weird. It sounds a little weird. Okay. And again, this is me thinking through it. I'm not saying this is the technique that you have to use, but as I've thought about 
my favorite game experiences and the game experiences of players that have shared with me over the years, this was my favorite, whether it's D&D or even a board game or a card game, they always put it in the form of a story of something that happened, of them overcoming something, of them, you know, coming out not always on top, but always changed. And even some of my favorite games are games that I don't win very often, but I always walk away a little better, learning a little more, doing a little better than I did before. And so as I've been thinking about this, I've been saying, okay, a good game will often show some similar traits here. As you move from the known world to the unknown world, in my mind, as a first-time player sitting down at a table, a good game, I'm going to be able to see with my resources, this is the most obvious path, right? This is what's familiar. This is what's known. And as I start to run out of those resources, we begin to move into the unknown. Temptations and diversions and challenges, right? I could pursue all of these different strategies and my job as a player is to figure out what the right strategy is. And oftentimes I'll run into traps of where I think that this is what I'm trying to achieve, but then I begin to move on to realize that maybe I made a mistake. Maybe it's actually not what that is. And then eventually I hit that low point of, I don't know what to do next. I have many, many options, limited resources, so I can't choose all of them. I can't explore all of them. I have to make a decision. And through that, the choices that I begin to make for the rest of the game become increasingly more and more clear as I become refocused from having a wide amount of options to having a few that that make sense. Even if I chose other paths, it's not something that I want to do because I, as the hero in this story, am going through that transformation process of recognizing what it is I need to do to win the game until ultimately it crystallizes as I return to the known path, now there is exactly one thing that I need to do to win the game, even if the rest of the players or the board itself or whatever else is against me. I am trying to harness all of the resources and everything else that I've built up across the game to be able to make it across the finish line, including my knowledge of now understanding some of the nuances of the game until I have now ended either in victory or defeat, but either way, I have a story to tell. I'm kind of curious, you know, we don't have a ton of time left, but is there anything that stands out as valid to the two of you? And then beyond that, I'd love to throw it up on the Discord to see if anybody else has thoughts. So I think it's a very interesting premise. I think that um, I think that we could use the hero's journey in two ways when it comes to gaming, especially tabletop gaming. I assume that that's the focus that we're on. It's tabletop gaming, either board games, even card games, or tabletop RPGs. Um, I think there are two ways we can use the hero's journey. One is to assess how complete your experience was in that game. So maybe when you play a game, like let's think Settlers of Catan, for example, it Mm. might be the case that you have just such a resounding victory. You have such an overwhelming advantage over your opponents that you don't experience every aspect of the hero's journey along the way. Heck think about the, um, the, for lack of a better term, the proverb, you are the villain in someone else's story. Right? Mm. So maybe you don't experience every aspect of the hero's journey, but I think that you could use the hero's journey as a template to measure the completeness 
of your experience. Did you have that call to adventure? Did you answer the call? Did you have a mentor or a helper? Or was there some external assistance that occurred to propel you forward? Did you hit an all-time low? Did you find some way to recover from that? Did you return the victor? That sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's how we get, gauge the completeness. The other thing I would do is imagine games where you don't have the full hero's journey as you play. I think the second way we can use that template is to measure the game system itself. Is yes. How likely is the game system to offer the elements of the hero's journey? Yeah. Uh, and there are some games that don't do that very well. Yeah, and that's exactly the premise that I'm trying to approach this from is, is this a valid measuring tool? And if I can create all of those story beats along the way in a normal game, does that inherently lend additional strength or validity or enjoyability to the game itself? I don't know, Dan, do you have any thoughts? Well, I mean, obviously a role-playing game, you're gonna be able to hit these beats a lot easier. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. the, the hero's journey can easily be written into any adventure. Mm -hmm. When we're looking at a board game that's going to be a little bit more difficult and it's going to really depend on the game and how you spin it. Can you do the hero's journey in Candyland? Not really, probably not. Trouble, you probably can't. But you could probably do it with Monopoly. I mean, there is going to be a point that you may hit that 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 death. Uh, you know, you're near death. You have, you know, you've lost all but one property. You're down to 200 bucks. And you are just one roll away from complete bankruptcy. Mm. And yet something happens. Something happens amazingly and you get more money. And suddenly you start acquiring other properties because other people are starting to tank and you kind of have that rebirth and then you win. There is a way to do that. And you can kind of look at it as that, that hero's journey. I mean, everyone has the call to action in that because you want to go and you want to see who wins. Mm. Um, Everyone's just, you know, a game piece at that point. Mm. Uh, some card games definitely work really well with that. Um, you know, especially uh, some of the deck building games, you can definitely do it with that way. Um, oh, there's some, there's a couple other card ga game systems, but I can't think of them right now. And that's where, and that's where, like, obviously, we have games with story elements, like yeah. we mentioned, that it's very easy to be able to map that out. Um, but we also do see some excellent examples there where Candyland, as an adult, as a mature player, doesn't hit many of those beats, and therefore yeah. may be that may be a valid way to measure how strong is this going to be for an adult player. There are what? other games like Zombicide. <laughs> yeah, there are. And we're going to talk about that. But I just realized I wanted to I wanted to interject and interrupt on that one because I realize that the hero's journey is um, it can be tailored for the level for which you are ready. Yes. As adults, we watch things like Downton Abbey, or we watch Schindler's List, or Stranger Things, or Stranger Things. You know, um, mm. and and that appeals. Has a great uh, hero's journey. Oh my gosh, Stranger Things has a phenomenal hero's. It has. You could actually break that up into multiple hero's journeys, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, every hero has a journey in that one. Uh, but the the point is, uh, going back to Candyland, for example, you're right. It's probably it's probably not going to hit the emotional points for the adults. 
I totally get that. But then I just had a moment where I was like, okay, well, what about like my son who started playing that game when he was five or when he was Mm -hmm. four? What does that adventure look like? You're playing one of your first board games. You've never really done this before. You set out on this adventure. You're hoping that you can beat your opponent, probably your sister. And Mm -hmm. as you're, as you're hitting the spinner or as you're drawing cards, depending on the version that that you've been playing, um, you, you have this mode of discovery and you have a lot of reward in the beginning, but as you progress through the board, there's more peril. And at that, that mm-hmm. moment when you were like three quarters of the way through and you hit some space that sends you back and not just back a little bit, but back mm-hmm. a lot of it, right? I, I, think, I think that the hero's journey, even when it's not consciously understood, is still a very human experience. And yeah. things like Candyland or Shoots and Ladders can give that experience to people who are newer to life. So maybe that's exactly the point that we've got to aim at is if we are putting ourselves into our intended audience's lens, do they have the opportunity to hit all of those things? Now, if this is an open-ended question and it is very dependent upon the audience, so dungeon crawlers out there, I wanna turn this over to you. Tell us what you think. Is this a valid tool? Is this something to consider? Obviously there's going to be ways that we can force correlation, but does that necessarily mean that there's really good bones in it? Let's explore this together. Maybe this is something that at a future date after I've been able to toy with it for months and months and months, we can come back and talk more about has it worked. And I encourage all of you to try it out in your games. Join us on the Discord if you haven't already. We've got questions going up with every episode and we'd love to be able to interact with you. But uh, with that, I think we're starting to run out of time. Dan? Well, I mean, this this has been a great discussion. And and. And that's why, you know, we're, we're, we're keeping to our themes and this was a great topic for books, but it also bled into the other, the other realms, which I think a lot of our topics do. I mean, most topics can bleed into the other realms. Um, the hero's journey is very important. I mean, I use the same model in my writing. Uh, you know, my, my main series has it with Henry, you know, he gets the call to action when Lanny shows up and says, crap, your brother's in trouble, you know? <laughs> And, and what does he do? He takes the call. He charges in, uh, you know, and then, you know, my, my kid's book uh, that's with my editor, I kind of do the same thing. You know, he, he's, he's freaking out and, but things happen and call to actions happen. And, and I love, I, it is used quite a bit, but I love the model. It makes writing the story so much easier. You don't have to worry. You know, we're not hitting the despair or the death or whatever by page such and such. It's just the model that is somewhere within our story. We know we need to get that hero into the story somehow to, to go to fight the good fight. We know that the hero just can't have, you know, just can't have a happy journey the whole time. Everything happens. It's not rainbow and, and butterflies. It's struggle. It's difficulty. You know, it has to get to a point where the hero is about ready to give up. And then he, he still moves on because that teaches us something. Even at our lowest point, when things are so difficult and we're just ready to give up, if we just try a little bit more, things get better and things will get better as long as we continue to push forward. Um, and, I, and I think it's a great life lesson too. Um, you know, no matter how many times life kicks you down or how hard things get, if you just keep trying and move, you just move a little bit more, do something the next day, things eventually get better. Um, and, and you win the day. I mean, so, you know, 
we've seen Luke Skywalker get a medal at the end of one movie and the next he gets a, a new hand because he really royally screwed up and lost a hand. You know, and then the next time he, you know, he saves his dad. Um, those aren't all great things, but he continues to try and he, and there is a reward at the end. Um, yeah. Yes. He doesn't get to go home with his dad, but he saved his dad from the dark side. You know, he lost a hand, but he learned something. Uh, <laughs> you know, the reward at the end doesn't have to always be the girl. I, that's something I really want to stress. Um, to, to anyone out there that's writing, look beyond you know, the standard defaults that were originally written into that because life lessons and other things are just as valuable as saving the, the damsel in distress. And maybe sometimes the damsel in distress can be the hero. So you never know. So uh, I'm, I guess, yeah, I mean, we are at time and I went on a, a rant there. But anyways, with that said, we're out of here. And no matter what your story is, tell your story, whatever may come. And as with any hero worth their salt, be epic, don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always.